take this opportunity again to thank everybody who helped out with our, our cookout last Sunday night. We had a great time. It was real fun. If you missed it, uh, don't worry. We'll keep doing more events like that in the future, and we'll hope to hope to see you there. <clears throat> I want to warn y'all, I'm, I'm not sick, so no one worry. I was at a working a benefit dinner for Heritage last night, and all of the conversations had to take place at about the level I'm talking to you right now, because it was very busy. So I'm just a little hoarse. I'm not sick. No one, don't worry. I know there's lots of talk of everybody right now, so <clears throat> just kind of bear with me. Um, so uh, this morning, we'll continue our series kind of studying characters of the New Testament, or I'm sorry, the Old Testament, as we've been doing for a little while here. And uh, this morning, we're actually going to take a look at a scene from the life of King David. Um, much like Samuel, who we studied uh, recently, David's a, a figure we would know very well. We know a lot of familiar stories, uh, you know, David and Goliath, of course. <clears throat> but we're going to look at a, a slightly less known scene from David's life uh, when he is king. Uh, we'll be looking at 2 Samuel 7, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. <clears throat> in 2 Samuel 7, there's a, a pact or a deal, maybe even we could say a covenant, that seems to be talked about between between David and, uh, and like most deals, there's just two sides, two parties, and of course on one we have David, king of Israel, and Yahweh, the the God of Israel, the Lord. And so we're gonna we're gonna kind of look at this uh, this conversation or this almost this this deal or this promise that takes place, and we'll kind of look at uh, both sides of it this morning and uh, apply just a little bit of this to our lives. So uh, like I said, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Second Samuel seven. And we're going to start just at the top of the chapter, and we'll just read the first few verses. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. When we read chapter 7, uh, the, the king is David, by the way, but the, it sets the scene for us very early, early on in the chapter. It says, David had been given rest from all his surrounding enemies. Not only is he in a, in a time of peace for the kingdom of Israel, but it actually specifically says the Lord had given them this time of peace. And uh, I want us to remember geographically where we're talking about here. Um, th- these are taking place in the Middle East, a place that's been... Very much a source of unrest. I mean, go even today, go ahead and raise your hand if there's ever been peace in the Middle East in your lifetime. Probably not. Um, if, if you took a, a, just a timeline of world events, of major conflicts, and all the history, very, very little of that time would there actually be peace in this area. Uh, mostly because the, there was just between its natural resources and its location between major powers. Of course, in the Old Testament, we know about the Egyptians, the, the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. There are always conflict through Israel. So they've always been fighting off enemies on one side or the other. But David, here it says, was blessed. Israel was blessed because peace really is a blessing for all of Israel, uh, but especially for the king. Because if you flip through uh, the books of Joshua and of Judges, which tell us about the Israelites, we'll notice that uh, whenever things are not going well for the Israelites, whenever there seems to be unrest, uh, they're, they're not a very reflective people very often. They usually do one of two things. They blame their leader or they blame God. And uh, as you might suspect, 
uh, neither of those end well for the leader of the people who is trying to be uh, speaking on behalf of God at those times. So this time of peace uh, was a benefit, obviously, to all of Israel, but it was an exceptional blessing for the king because it was ultimately his responsibility to keep the peace. So David is, is very blessed. But look again at verse 2, how David handles this, this blessing. He says, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. At the time, of course, uh, since really the time of Moses, the God once appeared in the pillar of fire, and then he appeared to Moses in a tent. And then really from that point on, when they were traveling, they had set up this tent, and it was called uh, sometimes the tabernacle. That's where that word comes from. It just means tent of meeting. And it was exactly how it sounds. It was literally just fabric draped over some poles, and it was a certain size, and it had specific laid out dimensions. But they met God ultimately in a tent. This is not a, a, an expression or an idiom. It, was, it looked about like what we would picture a tent now. And David, he, he sees this. David is blessed, but David has different priorities. He's not satisfied with the peace for his people. He's not satisfied with himself being blessed. And a, a house of cedar was a statement of a very nice house. It was not temporary. It was not uh, easily crushed or beaten down or torn down. And David said, it's not enough that I'm blessed. His mind and his thoughts or his priorities were elsewhere. If we went to Colossians 3.2, Colossians 3.2 says, Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things that are above, not the things that are on earth. David understood that. David sought the things that were above. David sought God. Of course, Jesus also said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's a matter of priorities. Uh, what's important to us? I, th I think uh, when I sort of take this into my own life, you know, what if David set his sights on what were above? What do I set my sights on? I think what do I? What is seeking the kingdom first, and not just seeking the kingdom, but seeking, as the text says, seeking the kingdom first? What does that look like in my life? I wonder. I think what, what takes up, you know, if I was to look at my week, what takes up the most brain power? What do I spend most of my time doing? What are, what's the first thing I do when I wake up, maybe? If we're talking about first, what's the first thing I do when I wake up? Or maybe the last thing I do when I go to sleep? I'll tell you what it usually is for me, right? It's, you know, we've all got... There's a ton of different things that take up our time. But I want us to think about what does it mean to seek the kingdom First, to set our sights on what is above, as David did. So like David, uh, he's talking about his house of cedar. Like David, many of us have been blessed with having our physical or material needs met. And so David says, it's, it's great. This is awesome. I, I love this. This is, this is cool that I have all these nice things and this great house that's been built for me. But I look out the window and I see the tabernacle. I see the tent of meeting and something's not right. Because David's priorities are on what was above. And I wonder how many of us, if in David's position, would make that same observation. I know uh, <clears throat> we know some people, when they're doing well, they don't care about anything else, right? They're like, hey, I've got mine. Things are going for me. You, you figure out the mess in your own life, right? 
they don't worry about anybody else if their life is good, let alone God. Others, maybe it's not that they're exactly selfish. Maybe others just, they, don't, they wouldn't know where to find God if they sought him. David looked out his window and said, there's, there's where God dwells. Some of us, not out of necessarily self-centeredness or anything like that, but some of us just don't know God that well. Too. We, would, we would not know where to find him if we looked for him. I mean, do, you, do you know how well you have to know somebody to always know where they are, to know where you can find them? Some of us just aren't that close with God. He, would, he wouldn't be on our Find My Friends or our little Life 360 thing. We wouldn't know God's location I think of uh, when, I, when I first moved here, when I was working at the, the shop, Steve or Zach would, anything we went, when it was tractor deliveries or pickups, everything and anything was over either by somebody's house, somebody's work, somebody's cousins, whatever, everything. Like, we went to the grocery store. Oh, yeah, the closest grocery store. That's, uh, that's right across from oh, so-and-so's down on the, this road. And you turn left at the co-op and it's over by, we go you know, to lunch. After services, and they, oh, you know, it's just, it's just left past the school, and it's over. Keep going like you're going to go to so-and-so's house, but turn at the... No, I don't know. I don't know any of that, actually, because uh, I, didn't, I didn't know people. I didn't know where I could find these things. But now, that I've kind of been here a while, our, uh, our story in Lee Truck, we go, we take a little route from, from Lawrenceburg to Florence uh, through Rogersville and back up through Anderson a lot in that area, and now... Uh, whenever I'm coming up 207 past the stew shack, or if I'm going over 76, or if I'm, you know, coming through Elgin, I'm always like, hey, that's where, I know that's where I can find that person. That's where so-and-so is. That's their car. I know where I can find them. <clears throat> but you see what I'm saying? You've got to put time in to know where to find somebody. You've got to put effort in. You've got to have a relationship with people to know where to find them. David had that relationship with God. He looked out his window and he said, that's where God is. I know where God dwells. David knew God. When I think of uh, some of us, even some of us like, like myself, really, who are not necessarily born and raised in the church, when we're looking for God, we're just walking into buildings we don't know. Because we haven't searched God's word. We haven't studied. We don't know God. But David knew God. David was aware of what was going on outside of him, outside of his own little personal bubble of success. He was aware of other things, and his sight was set on things that were above. So David looks around and says, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. It's not right. And if we look, he, he decides something needs to be done, and he, so he consults the prophet Nathan, who is, who is the mouthpiece for God. And, uh, and Nathan, in verse 3, he says, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Nathan says God is with you, because when your sights are set on things that are above, as David's were, you'll find that the Lord blesses your endeavors, that things are easier, that things happen more naturally, that things come to fruition that you're trying David says, I have been blessed, but it's only right for me to give back to God some of what's been given to me. So he decides he wants to build, he wants to do something about the Lord residing in a tent. So look over at, uh, at verse 4. Because in verse 4 it says that the night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And we'll see what the Lord has to say about David's doings. <clears throat> 
Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the names of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judge over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom." The Lord says many great things to David, but he starts off by asking of David the very question that was already on his heart. He said, would you build me a house? Other translations say, are you the one to build me a house? The Lord is asking, this this is what I want. Are you the person that can do this for me? Do you have what it takes? Can you accomplish this task if if I give it to you? The Lord is expressing a a longing to dwell with David. The Lord wants to dwell with with all of us. He's he's desiring a home among his people. If we we read about the garden before there was sin in the world, we, we would read that the Lord walked among Adam and Eve just in the garden with them. With Moses, he would often speak to him face to face before he had to appear in the in the tent. He would show up on the mountain or in the tent, and it, was, it would say that when Moses was in the, the presence of God, he would be with him so much that when Moses left the tent, his face glowed because he spent so much time with God. When it came time to redeem his people, God sent a piece of himself, his own son, in the flesh to, to walk and to talk and to eat with us. The Bible tells us over and over, God longs to be with his people. David wanted to build God a a physical home, but one that was worthy of the presence and the glory of God. People could worship there, and God would dwell there with his people. When Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the, the, the anointed one, came, the Pharisees asked him, when, when this kingdom that the Lord talks about here, he says, they asked him when this kingdom would appear. And in Luke 17, 20, he told them, The kingdom of God is coming in ways that, can be, that cannot be observed. He said, For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Even though the presence of God no longer dwells in the, in the temple that David once built for him in Jerusalem, he still wants to dwell with us. He still wants to be among us. He still longs to make a home within us. But if you look at the the way he talks about this home, the Lord does not just want any place. 
Paul told the, the church in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he said, glorify God with your bodies. He said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? If we recognize that God still wants to dwell within us and we are that temple, we are now that temple that where God dwells, where he will make his home with us, that should change how we live. That's what Paul's saying. He said, do you not know? It should change how you live. He says, glorify God with your body. What does that mean exactly? It can mean different things for different people. It can, you know, depending on how we think about it or how it looks in our specific lives. But I think maybe a start, just on a basic level, would be to not sin. Right? Easier said than done. Maybe to sin less or at least flee from temptations. Avoid putting ourselves in situations where we are going to sin. Keeping ourselves insulated from sins and, and evil and temptations of the world as, as much as possible. Glorifying God with our bodies could also be simply seeking God, as David did. David sought God. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Just as the Lord wanted to dwell among His people in 2 Samuel 7, He wants to dwell among His people now. But he says, just, just any old room will not do. We have to make for ourselves a temple. We have to prepare for ourselves. Just as David prepared to build the physical temple, and it had to meet certain standards and certain uh, parameters, we have to meet certain standards and certain parameters if we are going to be God's temple. The Lord tells David that he's been moving about in a tent, shifting, changing with the people. He, he wants a permanent home. Another quality when we talk about glorifying God with our bodies is I, is I think, am, am I giving God a permanent home? Because it's very clear when he's talking to David, he says, I want to, he keeps using this expression, a home of cedar. Cedar is a strong wood. It's not easily blown over. It's not easily moved or shifted. I think, in, am I easily moved or shifted? Am I moved around? If I was to be a temple, am I one of my tent or my house of, of cedar? Is my status as God's temple constantly changing and, and shifting with the times and the environment that I'm in? Or am I that old creation made new? Am I dead to sin and living in Christ? If I am to make myself the Lord's temple, it cannot be temporary. When God is speaking to David in the text, he also he says he longs a permanent temple worthy of his presence. And he, and he also lists for David reasons as to why this is in the text. In verse 9, he says, I have, I have been with you wherever you went and cut off all your enemies. He says, I will make for you a great name. Verse 10 says, I will appoint a place for you where you will no longer be disturbed. Verse 11 says, I will give you rest. Verse 12 says, I will establish your kingdom. The Lord is speaking to David in 2 Samuel, but is the same of all these things not true for us today? Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 20, 28, he said, I am with you always. In Romans 8.31, Paul said, If God is with us, 
who can be against us? John 14, Jesus tells the disciples that he goes to prepare a place for us. God wants to dwell with us today for all the same reasons he wanted to dwell with his people in 2 Samuel. God tells David, if he gives him this place, if he, if he gives him this temple, then he will provide a rest for David. He says, if you build me a home here, I will build you a home later. I will give you a place of permanent rest. God makes that same promise to us today. If we are willing to glorify God with our bodies, as Paul says, and we are making our body a place for his spirit to rest, he will provide a place for us in heaven with him, and we will be his kingdom. At the end of this section, the Lord kind of adds one more uh, promise, if you will, to this covenant with David. Uh, Let's read in verse 14. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. In your house, in your kingdom, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God says if we seek him and he dwells within us, we will be his children. When I think of discipline, I so often think of parenting in my own growing up and how to a child discipline feels terrible, right? You hate it, you reject it, you fight it. Discipline is such a difficult part of being a parent. But what parent who loves their children does not discipline them? Those of you who are parents, why, why is it that you discipline your children? Because you, you dislike them or want them to suffer? Of course not. Parents discipline their children because they love them. Because they want the, the absolute best version of them possible. Right? I think discipline from God is no different. He says, I will discipline him with the, the rod of men, but my steadfast love will never Depart from him. God's discipline is in conjunction with his love for us. It's because of his love for us. This last promise God makes David as part of this temple, this dwelling place, is that God will take David as a son and his love will never depart from him. And like so much else we've studied this morning, that same thing is true for us. If we obey God, if we make our bodies a temple for him to dwell, he might discipline us. He says it's not always going to be easy. But he says his love will never depart from us. If you are with us, 